All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alemo, Tommy Tahoe, uh, T-Bone, T-Dog, whatever you want to call me. Uh, let's get into it. It's episode 204, uh, doing this on a Wednesday evening. So happy hump day to you, wherever I'm catching you. If you're walking the dog, making dinner, uh, about to prospect in the shower, wherever it is that you're listening, I appreciate you tuning in. And um, this show is really all about helping millennial sales, young salespeople uh, progress in their career, make more money, uh, you know, increase their skill set, uh, get promoted, you know, find the right job for them, be more fulfilled, all of that, um, anything that you'd want. So I uh, appreciate you joining me. Before we get to today's guest, there's no um, sponsor for the show, my own sponsor. Um, so really the one thing that I ask of everyone that, that listens you could just head over to Apple if you have an iPhone uh, and or Mac and go to Apple Podcasts, type in Millennial Sales, and you could subscribe and leave a five-star review. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. It really helps me to grow the show, get better guests, produce better content. I'm spending you know dozens of hours a week outside of my job as an AE to create this content and add value to you. So uh, I'd love if you could just take the minute to do that. You can also find the podcast on Spotify. Uh, you could also find it on YouTube at Tommy Tahoe. So shout out if you can see me right now on YouTube, um, Twitter, Instagram, Tommy Tahoe, LinkedIn, maybe the best place to hit me up, Tom Alamo. I post content daily on pretty much all of those platforms around sales. So I'd love to connect with you, chat with you. It's one of my favorite things to do. So uh, hit me up and, and let's have a conversation. Um, Okay, let's pivot. Let's get into this week's conversation. Zach Rigo, uh, man, this is a great one. Uh, I actually got introduced to Zach through a mutual friend. Uh, actually, not, not really. Uh, one of my old friends uh, from high school, actually two of my friends from high school, uh, worked for Zach, uh, introduced me to him, and uh, we had a great conversation. And uh, you know, to tell you a little bit about Zach, he's, he's out in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, you know, spent a few years in the retail industry, you know, working at, you know, finish line athletes, foot a few places during college. We talk about that, his hustle during college to make money and get after it with sales early on. You know, he, he got uh, into a few different sales jobs. The most notable one, he was at WordStream for nearly eight years, got up to a general manager level uh, and then left there and is now the VP of sales and marketing at Unstack as of uh, August of 2020. So a hell of a time to start a new role. And, um, you know, he had to do a lot of pivoting there. And, you know, there was, there's a few things that really stand out for Zach, uh, for why I had him on the show and why I really liked the conversation. And um, most importantly, he's just a great coach. And, um, you know, I, I want to actually introduce him to several people that I know, because I just think that they could really benefit from him. And, and I benefited from the conversation. We talk about, um, you know, what SDR should do in a predicament. There's a lot of you that might be SDRs right now that feel stuck, right? You're hitting your numbers. You're working your ass off. It's a hard job. You're not getting promoted to AE. There's not a timeline for that. I hear it all the time from people. And Zach gives some really good uh, advice on that, which is a tricky subject. Uh, we talk about interview prep. He's openly, uh, he loves it. He's, he's openly saying, if you are interviewing for a sales job and you want to help prep, hit me up and I will help you do it. Uh, so that's really uh, kind of him. And um, I'd highly encourage anyone that likes this episode that 
Doug, anything that Zach had to say, hit him up, uh, Z-A-C-H-R-E-G-O on LinkedIn, Zach Rigo, and, uh, and hit him up and, and ask him questions about your interview or uh, wanting to get promoted or whatever it might be that you're worrying about or dealing with in the sales world. Uh, you can see what Unstack is up to. Um, again, I had a great conversation with Zach uh, for anyone that's struggling in those areas, or if you are a people manager, a people leader, want to be one, uh, Zach's a great example of that. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, this is where I shut up and I press play on the conversation and take you straight to my interview with Zach Rigo. Let's go. Zach Rigo, welcome to Millennial Sales. How you doing, man? I'm good, Tom. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got the last uh, few weeks of the year here to close up some business, get prepped for 2021. How's everything rolling with you and the Unstack team? It's uh, it's an exciting time. We've we've uh, we figured out our plan for 2021. Which you know, when you're an early stage startup, there's a lot of sorting out to be done. And uh, it's a really exciting time for us. We've started to really nail a couple things where, where now we can plug numbers in and see what our trajectory looks like and where the business is going. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. I, uh, I love to see where we can end up if things fall into place and we execute on the plan we have, which is, which is always fun. Now, I have to imagine that going into a year like this, right, after everything that happened in 2020 has got to be so tough to plan. You know, like it, no one expected 2020 to, to really fan out the way it did. There's so many things that seem like they're kind of still hanging out there that might affect the market and businesses and, and how things are going to operate. So is that a really challenging thing to predict what life is going to be like for the next 12 months and how a business is going to grow? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, you try to be cautiously optimistic. Um, yeah. You know, you factor in kind of where where your best and worst months were in 2020, you know, into the equation. So you don't look at just the good conversion rates, just the good months. You try to, you try to mm -hmm. factor in some of the really down months. Uh, and then I think the other piece of the pie is, you know, we're building a tool to allow people to build digital businesses. Uh, so all that happened was our customer base shifted slightly, right? Where we, where we thought we were going to be exclusively for startup and, and, you know, B2B SaaS tools early on, we found that, wow, we can really build a business around solopreneurs and people that, you know, suddenly became unemployed and built businesses around their knowledge base. So we had a lot of business coaches, a lot of new agencies come on board. So, you know, we had to shift our focus a little bit, which was fine and fun. And we learned a lot and created some new, new cool tools. Um, but it opened up a new market for us and, and allowed us to uh, be nimble, which startups, you know, have to be to, to keep the lights on and keep growing, which was, which was a fun and, and interesting challenge for us. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, I, I'd love to get into your career a little bit and, and talk through that. So I saw, you know, just doing some LinkedIn creeping and research that, you know, it seems like you looks like you started off your career in high school, or maybe even college, like in the retail world, yeah. like at athletes foot and a few others. And that's a pretty common thing that I'm seeing from a lot of, um, you know, successful salespeople is that they had a stint in retail, they had a stint in uh, hospitality, yep. you know, door to door sales of some sort. So tell me a little bit about that, like in how that maybe framed your, your mindset around what sales might be like. Yeah. So my first job was construction. Uh, hated it. 
these hands <laughs> these hands weren't these hands weren't built for for construction. The only calluses I <laughs> get are for from, typing. Yeah, are from <laughs> golfing. Uh, yeah. That's that's when my hands get beat up. Um, I did that for one summer. I immediately said, "All right, I got to get out of this." It was in Wilmington, North Carolina. The summers in Wilmington, North Carolina are hot, uh, and working outside just isn't isn't sustainable for someone like me. Right. I'm weak. So uh, I went into retail the next summer as a summer job and loved it. I worked for the finish line. Uh, my manager was outstanding, just an awesome salesperson, like super energized, uh, really organized. I mean, he managed this entire store and we did good business and he was very, very organized. And I think it, it, it helped me a lot in, in learning about organization and when to position products and like really like you know, selling shoes is one thing, but like the finish lines of the world don't make their money on shoes. They make it on cleaners and socks, which everyone knows and insoles. It's all the accessories. So, uh, he helped a lot with like product positioning, which you don't think about when you're a retail salesperson, but it's key. Like that's how they make their money. And then, you know, when I went to college, uh, I started working at the athlete's foot, which no longer really exists. It does, but, uh, we were a specialty running store, and same thing, right? Like we had to sell insoles and socks to make our money and all of our mm-hmm. commissions, which we actually got paid, you know, I got an hourly plus commission. The hourly was what, eight fifty or nine bucks an hour, maybe 10 50 an hour when I left and I was like assistant manager of the store. Yeah. Um, but you could make, you know, three to $4 an hour in accessory sales. So, you know, that was, that was really formative those years, uh, of like understanding how to engage with people, when to introduce add-ons, um, you know, how to understand their needs. So what kind of shoe were they looking for or what were they going to be doing with the running shoes? Like really important. Are they going to be walking or running? It changes when you position insoles or socks. So it's all, it's all things you learn about in, in SaaS sales, just in a different industry with a different product. I also bust tables uh, at night and on weekend uh, nights and on weekends during high school and college, which was the real moneymaker. Uh, Hustlers. So you were hustling, man. I was hustling. Yeah. No, I liked, once I started making money, I liked making money. Yeah. Um, I look back at my W2s, man. My junior year of high school, I made, I made like $21,000. Oh, wow. I, I was working, I was working three nights a week at the restaurant and then working Saturdays and Sundays at finish line. And just the restaurant I worked at made, it was a Japanese steak. I was like, the, the, the servers oh, yeah. there printed money and the bus boys got a nice kickback <laughs> on all of that. It was a, it was a crazy thing to look back on, but, um, had to buy cars. I like cars. So that's where I usually waste my money. That's the, so I was curious if that was something that it was like your parents said, Hey, you gotta, you, you gotta have a job or two jobs. or you just got that first taste of money and you know, you were interested in cars and you're like, well, I gotta, I gotta find a way to, to, to buy these cars or, or you yeah. know, how that kind of started. Well, my dad was cheap uh, my whole life. So once I had my own money to buy my own things, that was a big factor. I had to buy my first car. Uh, I bought it for a dollar from my cousin and it was a horrible car. It was exactly what a dollar would buy you. Um, so I quickly wanted to get out of that. Uh, I, I did go to a private high school. So my car was by far the worst car in the parking lot. Like yeah, by a hundred miles, I bought it from my cousin for a dollar. It was a Northeast car, Honda civic, the wheel wells were all rusted out. Yeah. So the faster I could get, that car was a means to get the next car. The faster I could get the next car, I was going to do it. So that was my real motivation. Uh, I also knew since I went to the private high school, I had to pay for college myself. Mm. So getting money in the bank and having money to support myself in college and then working through college to pay my student loans 
was something I was planning for, you know, when I was a junior in high school. Uh, and it paid off. I was able to pay off all my student debt pretty quickly after school, uh, just by like having some money saved and kind of keeping, you know, keeping level on those payments while I was in school. So uh, I'm a planner, if nothing else. Yeah. And so you knew just coming like from all that experience in you know, high school and college, you, you knew coming out of college that I want to get into sales. That's where I can make money. You know, I like working with people. I like setting goals to make money. Like, and that's how I want to get it done. It's, it seems like it was a clear cut decision for you. Yeah. You know, I went to college, I was a, a major in communications, a minor in uh, journalism and I wanted to be on sports center, which, you know, when I was a child <laughs> and like a teenager, yeah. like sports center was the thing, like you watched it before you went to school and you watched it when you got home from school twice a day, you know, Stuart Scott and, and oh, those guys yeah. were huge. Um, needless to say, it's really hard to do that. Uh, it's not as big as it used to be. They don't get paid very well, even the best of them. Um, and it's a long freaking road to become a sports center anchor yeah. and most of it's free. So when you graduate, you're doing these internships at crazy hours that are unpaid or paid very little. So I quickly realized I needed to figure out how to make money and uh, sales was the best path to do that while leveraging, you know, skills I already had and, and even some skills I learned in uh, you know, being a communications major and uh, a minor in journalism, you work a lot on things like, short news stories, uh, headlines, which are eerily similar to subject lines, right? So like yeah. a lot of those skills were quickly transferable and I was able to hone them in college and, and use them, you know, quickly thereafter in, in B2B sales. Yeah. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, and, and really spend the majority of today's conversation on your leadership style. And just by going to your LinkedIn, right, I picked up on, you know, in your bio, there's a lot of different stats, success, you know, president's club, hitting quota, all that stuff, but not the, the first line. The first line in your LinkedIn bio is you have seven direct reports that were promoted to leadership roles. Yeah. So that feels like a conscious decision that you've made as really highlighting that. I'd love to hear you talk about the emphasis that you have on helping other people develop their careers. Yeah, I think uh, retaining salespeople is hard. As a, as a sales leader, right? And I think there are, uh, there are easy ways to do it. And, and it usually starts by putting the salesperson's career in their hands. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, as a sales organization, you should have a promotion path, right? That's very clear cut. Like you're going to come in at this level, here are the metrics you have to achieve to move up to the next level. And I think that's something that more and more sales organizations are starting to put in place. But you know, there's always a ceiling there, right? Of like, when do I become a sales manager? Uh, not all salespeople want to become sales managers. So mm -hmm. I, you know, you, you, you always see the salespeople that want to do more and exposing opportunities for them to do that, even outside of the day-to-day -day grind of sales is super important. And I've dedicated a lot of my time uh, to making sure I provide those opportunities to sales reps that work for me. Mostly because when I was a sales rep and I wanted that experience, it wasn't always given to me. And, and when it was, it only drove me to be better and do better for the organization. And like that mental shift for me from individual contributor to what can I do that's best for the business and our clients 
made me a better salesperson. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was quickly realized that. So I, I've kind of taken that with me and, and, you know, quickly tried to deploy that for anyone that's on my team. So when you say that there's, you know, reps on a team that you could tell are ambitious, they want more, they're hungry, and you give them maybe additional responsibilities or things outside the normal scope, like, could you give me an example of that? Yeah. So, you know, uh, people that are ambitious, you can, or most salespeople are ambitious, right? Like they want to achieve their numbers. They want to hit president's club or whatever that goal is. Uh, but there are other people that are thinking with a, uh, a business hat on and not a salesperson hat on. And the, and the difference there is they might see a flaw in some process that happens post-sale. And as opposed to complaining about the churn that they got or the clawback or whatever, right? They're, they're digging deep. Like, what is the solution that I can help uncover with this thing that happened that negatively impacted me? Uh, that's going to make the business better so that I don't deal with a turn or a clawback again, but really impacts the organization. Mm. And the people that come to you with solutions, they're coming to you with solutions because they want to help solve bigger strategic problems. And those are the people you want to give projects to. So, you know, I'll, I'll try to task them with leading that. Like, hey, like, that's a great solution. I, I, you know, here are a couple things I would tweak. Here's how I'd present it. And like, let's go put something together that we can present to the VP of sales or you know, the director of customer success to see if we can work on a project that makes the handoff from, you know, sales rep to CS better, uh, whatever it may be. And, you know, those, those little projects uh, ingrain the salesperson in the business. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really reinvigorating for them. And when they start to see the impact across the broader organization, they want to do it again. And they want mm-hmm. to do it again. And the more they want to do that, the more revenue they're contributing to the business, which is a salesperson's goal. They might not be doing it, you know, by picking up the phone and emailing and prospecting, but they're really impacting the business at a much larger scale. So those are, those are little things you got to look for when you're, you know, when you're mentoring or managing a salesperson. And as a sales rep, those are opportunities you should look for if you want to ingratiate yourself to the broader organization or executive team, find those solutions, come with solutions as opposed to, identifying a problem. Yeah, that was always um, something one of my first bosses, you know, always kind of like, just ingrained in our brains. If we came to him with a problem, it was like, well, and we'd say, well, what do we do? So I don't what I don't know, what do you think? And he would never give us the answer. It would always be well, I don't know, what, what do you think? And so if you came and said, Hey, here's, a, here's a situation, I think we should do this. Like, do you agree or do you, or I think there are two ways that we can do it. I think we should do the first one. What do you think? And then from there, you know, maybe give you some devil's advocate or he'd agree or disagree or, or something. But if you just, if you're looking to just get the answer and not solve it on your own, then you're not learning anything that way. The problem might get fixed in that one situation, but it doesn't exactly. probably fix the process for the business. And then it doesn't help you to be able to identify those and get better and continue to fix other problems across the organization. And so I think that's just a huge lesson that people can learn. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, frontline sales managers need to get better at, at this exact thing we're talking about, right? Mm. Uh, it's easy for a frontline sales manager to just feel like they're putting out fires all day, but they're putting out fires one at a time, as opposed to looking for the underlying issues and finding out ways mm. to put out multiple fires at once. And that, that goes with like making sure that the sales reps feel empowered to come with the solution. Mm. 
because they're the ones on the front lines or the, the sales rep feels empowered to partner with other parts of the organization, be it marketing on like lead handoff, right? Or customer success on customer handoff. Like as a salesperson, you need to feel empowered to not only interface with your peers or their managers, but also comfortable coming with a solution and a strategy. And I think uh, Ralph Foles, the, the CEO of WordStream, when I started there, you know, it was a smaller company at the time. We were like 30 something employees, maybe 12 sales reps. So like everyone knew everybody, like I sat next to Ralph for a little bit, you know, he, he would take meetings with me when I had uh, a solution I wanted to bring him or a problem I uncovered that I think I might've solved. And that was awesome. You know what I mean? Like it was really cool for me as an early sales rep at the company to be able to do that. And he also did things like, Hey, Zach, where do you want to be in X years, right? What do you want to do with your career? Uh, hey, Zach, go get more data because I don't think your solution's right. You're way off, right? Mm-hmm. Like little things like that that really pushed me, made me so prepared for the future. And I think, you know, I tried to pass that along to all the sales reps I've worked with in, in my career. Yeah, let's talk about that because I remember that was something that, you know, I think that you're pretty passionate about is like really helping the reps on your team with wherever they want to take their career, right? And you mentioned some people want to get into sales management. Some people want your job someday. Some want to be the biggest, baddest sales rep in the world. And some don't know what the hell they want to do yet because they just graduated college and they're just trying to make some money and pay off student loans. And all of those answers are acceptable, you know, depending on your situation. So how do you get to the core of that? And like, say if you have five or 10 different reps on your team or 50 reps, depending on how big the company is, um, how do you individualize that, get to know them as a person and help them on their career path? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think you got to give it some time, right? Yeah. So there's this, I managed, uh, or the SDR team rolled up to me uh, my, at the end of my days at WordStream. I was had about a team of close to 45 salespeople, before, you know, sometime early in 2020. Uh, the SDR team, I had, you know, the agency sales team, I had some account management uh, team that rolled up to me as well. And each of those roles take time, like SDRs are really impatient, right? Like they always want to get when can I get into closing? When can I get into? And it's like, don't ask that. Like, how can I get more exposure to what happens when you become a closer is what you should be asking your manager. Mm. Um, And then when you're a sales rep, you know, like, hey, how can I get more exposure to X piece of the business that I'm really interested in? Uh, and the, the thing I always ask all salespeople to do when they come to me with, I want to take the next step is write the perfect job description for yourself. Sit down and really think about it, right? Knock down all the barriers. Don't think about yourself as a sales salesperson or sales leader. If you want to be a sales manager, write the sales manager job description. If you want to be a channel or partner manager, write that job description. If you want to be a a director of marketing, like write that job description. Like go and sit down and really think about it. Don't come to me and say, I want to become a sales manager. I want a promotion, right? That means nothing. Like what do you want in your career so that I can expose you to opportunities to get the skills you need to then take on the role you really want? Um, so I always ask people, write the job description for the job you want and sit down and really think about it with no barriers, right? Like, don't even think about it. It has to be at this company. Just write down what you want as your perfect job. And do you do that at the beginning of your relationship with them? You give them some time, you try to feel them out. You know, they 
got to earn their stripes. Like, when do you do that? Yeah. You know, it is a little bit of earn your stripes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there are people that just want to be individual contributors, right? They just want to mm-hmm. be the best sales reps that they can be and make a lot of money because a lot of individual, a lot of great individual contributors make more money than their sales manager. Yeah. I made way less money when I became a sales manager. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a tough pill to swallow. And I felt like I worked, you know, way harder. Um, but it's sales reps are probably so high, tired of hearing that you should cut that part. Um, <laughs> there is, uh, you know, th- there is a level of like, you gotta, you gotta get a little bit under your belt and show that you understand the process of the job you're in before you can even approach or should even approach people about where you want to be. And, and I think in the interview process, you can declare that. Like I'm, I've, I was very clear early on, like, Hey, I want to be in a, in a general manager, CRO, like revenue role that's bigger and broader than just sales. Like that is where I want to be. And when Ralph asked me early in my career, when I was just a sales rep, like that's what I said. And that's where I wanted to go. Right. And, and I was able to navigate my path into a GM role where I was managing the full organization and, and responsible for top line revenue and, you know, responsible for churn and net retention and things that, you know, most sales leaders don't have to worry about. Uh, mm-hmm. That was an awesome experience for me. And it was really important that I navigated my way to that path. And I did that, you know, by making some strategic moves throughout my career, but always trying to be exposing myself to other parts of the organization as well. So I want to take a step back a little bit and talk about, like you talked about career path, promotion path, making it very clear for reps and everyone to, that knows, you know, how you get from one level to another. When when in a company do you implement that? Is it ever too early to do that? And, you know, I've got some follow-up questions I want to get into, but I'm just curious, like, do you have to wait till a certain amount of revenue or reps or some sophistication of product market fit or something before you do that? Yeah. You know, I think, I think that <laughs> that piece of paper that outlines everything evolves so fast, you yeah. know? And I think like, you know, where I'm at right now with Unstack like, man, I'm hiring, I'm going to be hiring like entry level, mid-level salespeople, like, you know, two to four years of experience. Um, what's their next step? I don't know. Right. Like right now I'm defining the sales process from, from mm. picking up the phone, like inbound lead comes into. So uh, what I do know is that whoever takes that job will get a lot of exposure to a lot of projects and get to do a lot of things and learn a bunch because we're all going to be doing that. Right. And I think when I started at WordStream, what, what we had was, you know, you come in at kind of your base level, you're just what we call the sales rep. And then you got promoted to a senior sales rep after you hit X amount of time and that's all they had. Right. And then I kind of was like, Hey, I'm a senior sales rep after my first year, like what's next for me here and Mm -hmm. kind of push them to make a team lead role. And then, you know, the, there was another benchmark you had to hit to become a, a sales team lead and you were able to take on a, a rep or two underneath you. And then, you know, as I got more and more impatient and my peers got more and more impatient, they had to create the next step, which was a, you know, a sales manager. And the organization was evolving in a way that supported that. Like we were hiring mm-hmm. at a rate where people were getting promoted at a time where we needed more sales managers. Uh, over time that starts to plateau and you actually start to struggle to keep that same path. So that path stayed the same 
Uh, but we had to come up with new and creative ways. So there was a few opportunities where I made people uh, basically like liaisons interdepartment. So mm -hmm. I had uh, a gentleman on my team, Matt Bose, who you know managed my partnership with marketing. So he was the person that sat down in the marketing meetings to work cross-functionally with the marketing team to say, here are better ways for lead handoff. Here are better lead segments, right? And he was taking it from a, a sales rep's point of view and, and they were taking it from the marketing point of view. And that was really powerful, right? Like they hadn't, there hadn't yeah. been that bridge communication. So uh, it evolves over time. I think every organization should have, if you have more than, you have more than five salespeople that have been with you for more than six months, like you should really start drawing this stuff up because those people that have been there for six months are going to be asking for something in six months. Yeah. Like they, they need a promotion Absolutely. within a year. Um, and you should probably have a roadmap that keeps your salespeople, you know, promoted once a year if they're hitting their numbers for, for two to four years. And, and you mm -hmm. should have that drawn out for them. And there are going to be forks in the road that they can take and experiences that they can get. But you should really start to think about how can I get people to see a path to manager or whatever it may be in the next, you know, two to four years. Well, first of all, shout out Matt Bose, Central Catholic yeah. High School. Represent. Oh, yeah. I forgot um, <laughs> we had a lot of, there's a little overlap here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so all of that makes a lot of sense. But let's say you're a rep or, you know, a realistic situation. I was talking to uh, an SDR that I'm friends with that uh, is at an organization right now. And he's been working there and, you know, hitting his numbers. And he's been working there almost a year. And there's no path. He's pushing for that you know, promotion to whatever that might be wants to be a closer. And, you know, they're, they're telling him, you know, come back in three months, we'll talk, come back in three months, we'll talk. And there's no, there's no path. There's no, you do this for the next six months or a year right. or three months, we got you. Um, where, so, you know, I think the initial instinct is like, oh, is this going to be the right spot for me? Are they going to actually do right by me? Where the flip side is, if he leaves, you got to restart the SDR process again somewhere else. And it's going to be another six, 12, 18, 24 months to get promoted there. So what would you say to someone that is, um, you know, let's, let's just assume that they're hitting their numbers. Cause if you're not, then, you know, you're, you don't have a leg right. to stand on, but you're hitting your numbers and there's not that path and you're pushing for it. Yeah. Hey man, I've been there, right? Like I've been there as a sales leader. I've been the person on the other side of the <laughs> table saying, yeah. I just don't know. Right. And I think especially, uh, my advice to SDRs is, is be patient, you know, work with, work with your manager, trust that they have your best interest in mind. It might not always seem like it when they're sitting face-to-face -face with you. I guarantee you, they're going to be frustrated when you sit down and ask, you know, when, 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 right? Like it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's tough. It's frustrating for both individuals in that scenario. I would go back to the question I said earlier, ask your manager for opportunities to get more exposure to the full sales cycle, to uh, the sales managers for the, the, the AE teams, to the, you know, the training that goes on, right? And if you're hitting your numbers and exceeding your numbers, they should open you up to as many opportunities to be exposed to different parts of the business as possible. And all that does is keeps you top of mind as the, the SDR with everybody within the organization knowing that you're going above and beyond. The people that were always promoted 
fastest were the ones that went above and beyond to shadow, to listen in, to, to jump into trainings with leadership from other parts of the organization or, you know, leadership for, uh, you know, the AEs or account managers. Um, you know, there are a couple of things SDRs can do when they're in that predicament. They can leave and go get another SDR job somewhere else, which I've seen people do. I don't think that's a good move. They can go to a very early stage company, probably make close to the same amount of money as an SDR at a larger organization, right? But get closing mm -hmm. experience and get a lot of experience doing a lot of different things uh, or hang in their current role and, yep. and get, uh, you know, get the bump when the, when the time is right. And I think you got to ask yourself if you're the SDR is, am I motivated by money? Like, do I want this next role because it makes more money or am I motivated by experience? If you're motivated by money, you should sit in your current role and wait. If you're motivated by experience, go and look for an early stage startup like, like an Unstack, right? That's hiring SDRs to come and own the full sales cycle and develop the sales process with, you know, reporting directly to the VP of sales in this scenario. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and I think, I think those are decisions you gotta, you gotta sit down and, and look at yourself in the mirror and ask and say, what am I, what am I doing and why do I want to make this move? Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a really interesting take. And, you know, even if you do stay in the role to your point, you can ask for some of those other responsibilities. Maybe it's uh, Hey, I'm going to tag team with an AE and I'm going to sit in on his or her calls once a week. And so I can try to figure out the discovery process or, Hey, why don't you let me handle, you know, discovery for these really, really small accounts that probably aren't even a fit anyways that, you know, we would just throw away, but I'll talk to them and, you know, I probably won't make a sale, but at least I'll get some, you know, uh, sets and reps under my belt so I can get more comfortable or whatever it might be, uh, you know, listening in on calls, you know, all, all the different things that you possibly could do to try to get that experience so that when the time's right and you're ready to go, you have something that's been happening in the last, you know, few months that you're going to be more ready to take the role. And, and that's experience is important. Experience yeah. is important for your resume for getting that closing role somewhere else. So write down that you sat in on, right? Sat in on 25 full sales cycle processes over the course of 12 months, right? Handled discovery and whatever for, you know, 25 calls over the course of 2020. Like those things that are not necessarily you doing the full sales cycle, but getting a lot of experience and sound bites is powerful. Listen to over a thousand hours of gong calls, right? Uh, yeah. For full sales cycle, you know, like you're not doing it, but you've done a lot of work to be great at it. And I think that those are things that SDRs should be doing and logging and thinking about as experience that they might not be today. And, and that's, that to me is what they should be trying to get exposure to at that stage in the game. Yeah, it's it's um it's a concept I've been thinking about a lot recently of thinking about yourself as your own company in a way, right? So like, you know, I'm Tom Malamo LLC. So yeah, I have my quota that I want to hit. I have the other responsibilities that I want to do, but I also have these other skills that I want to develop or these other things that I want to do so that you can be more valuable to your current company, to a future company, to a role that you might have five years down the road that you don't even know what it is. So um, if you're only doing, and I've heard a lot of people say this, if you're only doing what's expected of you and nothing else, it's hard to realistically realistically expect that you're going to get that promotion or you're going to get that pay bump, right? You have to go above and beyond uh, to be able to get that done. 
Yeah, and I think the other thing is uh, the experience doesn't always come from your company or your manager, right? It can come from mentors mm-hmm. outside of the organization. It can come from creating a podcast. It can come from creating a personal brand, right? Yeah. On on LinkedIn, which we've seen, you know, I think you've done a good job of it, but I've seen other sales reps or SDRs even that are are known nationwide by sales leaders, right? Like yeah. that's outstanding. There's no better opportunity to do that than, than today. Um, you know, I got a sales rep that used to work for me. He puts out a funny educational video every Friday, right? And it's yeah. like, he does it on his own. He created his own little brand, Matt Urban Marketing. You know, he works for a large organization that, that does digital marketing strategy, but he's building a personal brand that's driving prospects and, and business to his door on his own, right? Because he mm-hmm. realized like cold calls and emails just isn't going to cut it anymore. Like I need something that makes people remember Matt Urban does marketing, right? And yeah. when I need marketing, I reach out to Matt Urban and he did that. And like, you're doing it with this podcast and you're getting experience and exposure and any SDR can do that. Any AE can do that. And that's amazing. Like, I didn't do that stuff and I wish I would have, and I'm, I'm kicking myself for not doing it. Yeah. Well, and I was talking to a friend that works with uh, one of the, you know, kind of LinkedIn stars that you see that I'll, you know, the person will remain nameless. I'm like, is that person really like, are they really doing it? Are they really closing deals? And he's like, dude, you have no idea how much pipeline. If this person just puts out one post, they just have inbound pipeline coming to them. I'm like, man, that's amazing. So it's, it definitely, if you build it up, it can, it can turn into business for you. Um, what, one other note that I wanted to, to, to pull on a little bit that I think we talked a little bit about, but didn't get super into is doing things for the company, right? So, you know, one of my old bosses was a big, you know, like company guy, right? And it, you know, he would care about your number. He'd care about his number, but he cared about the company and he cared about how the bottom line of the business. So he would do, you know, there were different times where he would take a less glamorous job, that maybe he was less likely to hit quota. It was a tough product to sell that they need to get off the ground, whatever it is, because he knew that's what was going to help the company in the next one, two, three years. And he's been rewarded for that by continuing to climb up the ranks, even though he did kind of that dirty work. You know what I mean? And so um, I love that mentality. So especially at an early stage company where people have to wear a lot of different hats, like sometimes, especially if you're in it for the long haul, which I would hope that you are, like there's things that you can do for the business. And I imagine that's what you've done um, in the past as well. Cause you've had some long stints. I think uh, WordStream was like seven plus years. So you were probably yeah. doing other things in the business. Yeah, no, uh, you know, WordStream was an interesting journey. I think uh, I had a manager before I worked at WordStream who was uh, very selfish yeah. as a salesperson and then as a, as a manager. The reason he became the manager is because he was the first sales hire, right? And it just kind of happened. Uh, and if he hears this, he knows I've said all this about him anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, there's, and it's not, you know, hey, it's not a knock. Like he had to learn, right? And he was kind of learning on the fly and I was a sales rep reporting to him. And, you know, I cared about that business a lot because I really respected the COO. Like he became a good mentor of mine. I still keep in touch with him. I still message him often and ask him questions. Um, and it, it, you know, that passion I had about his success and the business's success rang true and, and, and through my sales. Uh, when I moved on to WordStream, I went back to being, you know, pretty selfish for that first year. Like I had 
high hopes for how much money I needed to earn. I just relocated from Raleigh to Boston and Boston was way more expensive. Like I needed to make money and I wanted to ex experience the city. Um, so I, I really focused on myself and how I could be really successful as a salesperson and, and make as much money as I could. I quickly learned that, that that'll get you far. It doesn't make you a lot of friends. Um, you know, people respected me, I think for the most part, Ralph, you know, the CEO sat down with me, but the more I sat with Ralph and the more he kind of pushed me back to my desk to think about it from a different, from his perspective, right? The CEO's perspective, mm -hmm. the better I got, right? And the more I thought about the business and what was a good sale and a bad sale and where I should focus my time. And what that really led to is me being much more transparent in my prospecting and in my sales process and really telling the company's mission and vision to the prospect. And when you start doing that and you start selling in a way about here's, here's how we handle things and here's how, here's what our churn is and here's why it's low and here's why that's so important to you. And here's what our, you know, customer success retention numbers look like. And really knowing all that Intel mm. makes you such a, a successful salesperson because the prospect trusts you. Yeah. And when they do, they come on, they onboard happier. They know there's going to be bumps in the road, but they know that there are metrics that prove they're going to be here for, you know, 30 months or more. And when they yeah. know that, and it's already in their head at the beginning of the sales process, because you've told them that's powerful, right? Like, so getting exposure to other pieces of the business, knowing how you impact other pieces of the business for better or worse, and knowing what your cost to the business is as a salesperson meaning if I don't hit my number, what's the bleed on the company look like? Yeah. Is really powerful. So I, I encourage all salespeople to try to understand that. Like what's my cost of the business? What happens when a deal churns? How long does a deal need to stay for us to be profitable on that sale? When you know those things, man, your job means so much more to, to you, but to all of your coworkers and the company. And I, I think that is, uh, something a lot of salespeople should do. And by the way, if you're a AE or an SDR or whomever that comes into the CEO or to the VP of sales office and is asking those types of questions, oh, I can man. guarantee your, your peers to the left and right of you or, you know, next to you in Slack or, you know, whatever nowadays are not doing that, right? That's yeah. a separation to be able to think about that. And again, that's thinking about it from a business perspective versus just a salesperson perspective. So, uh, I sit at this VP of sales round table here in Raleigh. We, we meet like once a month, um, you know, a couple of drinks. We talk about our challenges. Uh, we yep. do it virtually, you know, now, but uh, there's a, a gentleman there who now runs a, a software company, but used to work for uh, an independent hotel, a privately owned independent boutique hotel chain. And he ran uh, sales and events for one of the locations, but the owner of that hotel chain made every employee manage their own P&L. Mm. Right. So the loss started with their salary. <laughs> right. And here's how the revenue breaks down that you need to generate. And your, here's how your job impacts this hotel chain. And he did that for every employee. I think that's so powerful. Like, you know, mm. every employee is sometimes thinking about their sales and what they can make as opposed to thinking about what they cost the company and what they have to generate to make the company money. And yeah. knowing that is empowering because it completely shifts how you're thinking about things that that hotel boutique hotel chain ended up getting acquired for half a billion dollars very quickly thereafter. Ooh. 
right? And, and becoming a huge success because this gentleman that ran it made everyone live by knowing what they were costing or making the company. And I love that mentality. And mm. everything I do from here on out will shift to that. Um, and I don't think enough sales leaders are, are exposing that stuff to the reps and, and you know, even across a broader organization to, to everybody in the organization. So uh, interesting yeah. story there. I love that. I love that. I want to uh, I want to pivot here to talk about the zero to one million podcast. Uh, looks like you spun that up um, a couple months ago, and you've, I see you've got my guy Larry Long Jr. on there. You've love got Larry. some CEOs, CEO of of Privy, a few other businesses have been on there. So I'd love to hear you talk about that as someone that is running a sales organization, right? And like. What is the strategy there? Um, is it to you know build awareness in the market? Is this kind of like a revenue driver, hopefully in the future? Like, what's the strategy for it? Yeah, so funny. Uh, Larry's actually a part of that roundtable I was just talking okay. about. That's how I okay. met Larry. Nice. Uh, he's outstanding. Everyone should follow him on LinkedIn if you need a little a little energy. Larry's your guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, the you know I run sales and marketing at Unstack, so I'm doing both. I got to generate the leads and then I got to call them. Uh, immediately yep. after, which has interesting challenges. Um, the podcast is meant to educate the market. You know, we, there are a lot of podcasts out there that have a ton of knowledge to be shared, but not a lot of it's focused on the strategies you need when you are real time, like trying to get your first 1000 site visitors or trying to get your first yeah. million in revenue. Like this is a, a really challenging time for a business. So you know, what we're doing is we're trying to uh, interview and speak with either founders that have just kind of gotten over that hump or are in the throes and, and coming up with creative ways to achieve success and then interview experts that are, you know, in specific uh, verticals or niches. So an example would be like, you know, scaling Facebook marketing for a B2B business. Like it's a mm -hmm. challenge. It's a low cost way to scale a business. Um, so we're interviewing an agency that works exclusively, you know, or mostly with B2B companies. Uh, another example is pricing, right? Pricing is so challenging when you're an early stage mm. SaaS company. So we're interviewing, you know, pricing strategists that are going to share their knowledge. And, and, and my ultimate goal with that is brand awareness, share knowledge, uh, and, and I get to gain knowledge, right? So like yeah. I'm interviewing people real time that I need help with. Like we're going through a pricing exercise as a company what better way for me to get a little free knowledge than give this pricing company some exposure, but ask the questions I want to ask that I assume every totally. other revenue leader is asking as well. So uh, selfishly, I get to learn a little bit. Um, we get to distribute it to an audience we want to uh, engage with, and we get to share some knowledge with them about what we've had success with and you know where we've screwed up along the way as well. I'm telling you, podcasting is the 20, you know, 10s or 2020s now, like networking, learning hack of the century. Like it's, yeah. you are just asking people, hey, can I promote you to the internet, to anyone and promote your business or your book or whatever people are pitching at the time. And I get to learn from you. I get to make you as a connection there's a chance there's a sale. There's a chance it's just knowledge gains. There's a chance there's just a relationship that's formed. And the host, you know, is, is gaining so much from it. So I think that's a great strategy for you personally and then for the business to just be able to make all those connections and learn from great thinkers and great practitioners that you can take to the business on a, on a daily basis. 
Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. It was a struggle, man. Like you're way better at it than I am. And, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm 13 episodes in. I don't know how many you are, uh, but it's you know the first few you listen back and you're like, man, did I did I struggle? Like episode 13 and episode one, the light years different. I can't wait to yeah. hear episode 130 <laughs> because I feel like we'll really be onto something. But it's yeah. uh, it's been fun, and I think everyone says this right. There are everyone has a podcast now. All right. Everyone has a blog now, but you're not going to not create a blog on your website and generate content and thought leadership, right? Like there right. are a hundred X blogs than there are podcasts or something, maybe even more than that. Like who knows, but like do it, have fun with it. Like worst case scenario, you're creating a voice for yourself and, and your company that, uh, that lives on forever. Right. And, and right. I think that's really powerful. Totally. And if you have the right niche, you know, there's a, there's people interested in good content. You know, it's like everyone has a, you know, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, but there's some people that have, you know, the rock has 300 million followers and I have like, you know, a hundred. So it's like, you know, the the quality of the content is what, you know, and popularity can rise. So you you don't um, have enough lifting weights videos. That's what I'm guessing. Well, I need the muscles. So it looks good when I do yeah. lift the weights and the weights have to be heavier. So, you know, there's a lot of issues going on. Yeah. We'll work on that next year, 2021 goals. Yeah. Yeah. That's the year. That's the year, man. That's it. Um, so yeah, I mean, any other thoughts that you have, you know, there's when, when folks are listening to this, we'll be in Q1 kind of kicking off the year. Um, no. but I'm curious, like any, any tips that you have for folks that, you know, are kicking off the year, Hopefully, you know, 20, 2020 was just, let's just call a spade a spade. It was just a shitty time to be a sales rep at any company except probably Zoom or maybe Slack or, you know, certain parts of, of other industries. But for a lot of us, it's our lowest W-2. It's, uh, you know, tough. We might have gotten let go. You might have new jobs, all this different stuff that may have happened, pay cuts. Um, so for hopefully a more optimistic 2021, do you have any tips for folks that can really turn things around and make it a banner year? Yeah, something I used to do on uh, at every year is set a, an earnings goal, right? And, mm-hmm. and I did this the first year I was at WordStream. The great thing about when I joined WordStream is they had all the metrics, right? Like they were, the sales team was somewhat established enough and they just raised some money. So they kind of knew like, if we can get this many leads, this is what percentage converts to demo. This is what percentage of demos close. Here's how many dials it takes to get a demo and, and emails, right? So I quickly went into it and was like, hey, I want to make $125,000 this year. So I subtract my base salary, right? I know I got to achieve, what was my base? I don't know. We'll say I got to achieve $70,000 in commissions this year. Okay. Yep. Right. I know our ASP is, uh, you know, 550. So I got to get X amount of deals, 125 deals, whatever it breaks down to. Yep. And then I backed my way into exactly how many dials and emails and, 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 and pieces of activity I needed to do on a daily basis to achieve that goal. And I came in at 119, so I, I missed my goal. But pretty damn close, right? So I think I think I, I took that that first year and I was like, okay, let's do that every year, right? My, my salary got bumped a little bit throughout the year. I got a promotion. So now the goal moves. The goalpost is always moving. Yeah. But I encourage every sales rep to sit down and do that exercise and, and break down to what you need to do on a daily basis to achieve a goal that is very big. But if you're only thinking about the big goal, it becomes really overwhelming. If you're mm-hmm. thinking, I got to do 70 activities a day. And if I do that, the numbers should shake out to achieving a revenue target. 
man, you're, you're going to have a really successful career. And, and I, I say, sit down and do it. And if you need help with that exercise, like reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'll create a Google sheet that sales reps can just plug numbers in and start to build something. But uh, I would say dedicate some time to that now and think about it and think long and hard about where you want to be at the end of the year and back your way into what you got to do every day to achieve it. And, and then maybe a 2.0 version of that is, uh, well, then you have to actually, you know, do it like not just for a week or a month, but the 70 dials, uh, you know, on the day where you're not feeling so great, or, you know, you got hung up on 12 times the day before, or haven't booked a meeting in three weeks or whatever is, is going on. Um, actually, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, know your numbers, you know, treat it like a science and I'm with that, but you have to also it's not just enough to know it. You gotta, you gotta go through with it and, uh, and follow it on a, on a day to day. And if their numbers are right, if the company already knows all those metrics, it's not rocket science. It might be hard work, but you know what, you know what to do. You just got to go out there and do it. I think the one other thing I'd encourage everyone to do when you're creating this, right? The first year I created, I created it off of the company's numbers. The second year I created, I created it off of my numbers. So I had the data to support, Hey, my closing percentage was 42% instead of 40 And then the next thing you want to think about is where in that funnel do you want to refine? So where can you tweak and get better to make the numbers that come out the back end, the revenue numbers, way more impactful? So it might be that closing percent. Like, hey, I'm, I'm a year into this now. So my closing percentage shouldn't be 42. It should be 48. And if I can get to that, you know, 15% increase in my closing rate, man, here's what happens on the back end. Right. And I'll yeah. still do the activity number at the top, but the revenue numbers, those grow faster. So uh, create the, the activity metric, find the whole, right. The, the number that you can, you can tweak and get better work on that and make that your goal for Q1 and the back half of the year is going to be a rocket ship. And that's, that's the other thing I would say, focus on now is find, find that one metric you want to improve upon. And you know what that sounds a lot like? That sounds a lot like having a business mind versus a sales mind, right? Yeah. That's like a CEO comes into the year and they know the one or two things they need to tweak. They know their numbers. They're not guessing. They're not just waking up and hoping more customers show up or you know, at least a good CEO, right? Is knowing the numbers and, and working on the things that you got to do to get better. Yeah. So that's it right there. Sit, sit, down, sit down with your marketing leaders too, right? Like th- that's a good time to sit down with the marketing leaders and say, hey, like, these are the leads I'm really killing it on, you know, and my closing percentage on these is and, and formulate a plan. Yeah. But marketing, every marketing leader is doing this right now, right? They're looking at their open rates in an email, their click rates in an email, their conversion rates on the page, and they're analyzing how to refine that. And, and if yeah. you're a sales leader, you should rally a marketing leader to come into your sales organization and tell the salespeople how to look at their part of the funnel and where they can refine it. So, uh, that's really nice, you know, for salespeople to start thinking about and a really great way for them to own their funnel. Right. And I think that's, that's powerful. I love it, man. I love it. So, um, everyone check out the zero to a million podcast, hit up Zach Rigo on LinkedIn, hit him yes. up. He's going to give you that spreadsheet. If you need it, I'll work, give on, you some it. I'll advice. work on it this afternoon. I just created yeah. more work for myself. <laughs> Is that the best place for folks to connect with you on LinkedIn? Yeah, please connect on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, I try to put out some, some content there. Uh, obviously, post the Zero to a Million podcast. You can find that there as well. And, uh, and I'm happy to engage with any, any sales rep that need mentorship or, or interview prep. Um, it's a lot. It's hard to get that next job. It's hard to level up when you're changing jobs. Uh, I like to think of myself as being pretty creative and reframing 
the experience you've had and and more importantly, you know, helping you get the new job by reframing that experience. So happy to help people where I can. I love it. And if you are someone that is maybe struggling, don't like where you're at, check out Unstack. Yeah, there will be a job posting coming out soon. Reach out, please. I'd love to love to get someone from the network here. All right, Zach, I appreciate it, man. Awesome, Tom. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to that episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. Uh, again, the one thing you can do, head over to Apple and give us a five-star review. That's what helps us grow this show. Otherwise, hit me up on social media, Tommy Tahoe on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, Tom Malema on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, have a great February. Peace.